This is Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. We never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. Thank you, Eric Harthen, and thank you for joining me on, let's all take a deep breath, (laughs) in the final times, the final moments before Election Day. Uh, We need to take a deep breath for a couple of reasons. One, it's not going to end on Election Day, by the way. We will have a massive new paradigm uh, that will occur in this giant blue wave. Uh, sorry, my Republican friends, it will be a blue wave. To the degree of what wave it will be is really the question. It may be a small wave or a big wave. It's like the hurricanes nowadays. You know, they like the one that flew into, floated into Hawaii and it was going to destroy the island and all of a sudden it became a tropical storm. Or the one that was going towards Florida that they thought would be a three or four and then became one of the strongest hurricanes in history in the area. So we don't know which way it's going to go. Yes, we do. It's going to go to the left. It's just a question of how much it's going to go to the left. And I don't even mean to the left. I mean a course correction from a state of vitriol that is uh, maybe a little out of control. But I've got a lot of good news about this, although I have to warn you, if you are a conservative, this is mostly going to be talking to my lefty and independent friends in this episode. If you are one of my conservative Trump-loving friends, you might find this a bit of a bubble popper, but I love you, and I hope that For your sake, the outcome this November and beyond helps you sharpen your focus on what it is you want to see for America and doesn't just increase your attention to the things you're against. And also, if you're looking to hear the perspective, another perspective other than your own that you're used to getting on Fox News and you want to hear about what concerns those folks who disagree with you, then this is your episode. If you're curious, instead of just trying to maintain your strength of conviction, then I suggest you buckle up and enjoy this. Because today on Possibility Politics, the ongoing search for America's political soul, we will discuss how a 1980s Matthew Broderick movie predicted this current political lesson. And for you millennials or younger folks, Matthew Broderick is the Ferris Bueller guy. Bueller. With the Bueller. Bueller. This one? Bueller. Yeah, that's Bueller. Yeah, that's Ben Stein. No relation. Bueller. So we're also going to discuss the revolutionary radical idea about abortion that changes the paradigm and flips thousands of years of discussion on its head. <laughs> Love that. Also, a new trait that is being espoused by almost all of the newest political candidates, both national and local, especially among Democrats. And a little hint, it's about a dirty word in politics that's being rewritten as a gift of humanity. It has to do with a concept I call common promise. But first, let's talk about these bombings, uh, attempts, I should say, these bombs sent to. And we're, we're, we're way in the opening stage, but we're going to find out a lot of information, especially since these things didn't detonate. The uh, experts at the FBI are salivating over the opportunity to determine the bomb's signature. They have every confidence, as has been proven by history, that they will identify who it is. But that's not what's important to me and I think to, to all of us in the broader perspective of politics and our, and our evolution as a society and as tribalists trying to come back together in America, to me, it's what is, how do we reach the higher angels of the political perspective on this bombing? And if you can, just follow me down this radical idealist rabbit 
hole, please. Okay, because one of the things that just just to talk about what has occurred, right? So there's these bombing. We don't know who the suspect is. We don't know what's going on yet. And the targets are all, generally speaking, the folks that Donald Trump has very recently and very loudly said are the enemies of his base. And then on the far right, uh, and it's fun to watch this on the Twitterverse, there, there's an ongoing list of all the uh, conservative hosts, whether on Fox News or Fox Business, like Lou Dobbs or Sean Hannity, all uh, Laura Ingram, the, the talk radio, all the folks that one after the other have, have added their name to the list of people who are claiming this is a Democratic false flag fraud, that the Democrats made this up uh, to, in order to create, to drum up sympathy uh, because they're being attacked, right? In the same way that apparently Donald Trump thinks that the uh, the caravan of immigrants escaping car- drug cartel violence and rape and murder are paid by the Democrats to walk here to the border to come over and vote, <laughs> which is a really amazing uh, delusion, but okay. But why is that happening? So let's get to the higher angels. And I ask this question, how deep do you have to be in your victimhood and your blame posture that when you hear about some bombing threat or attempted bombings that you immediately think it's some sort of dastardly plot by the people who are being bombed to self attack them to in order to you know drum up support uh, that says something about you as well as it says something about my left and independent friends when you overemphasize that uh, the problem is Donald Trump's rhetoric, which is emboldening these people to do things like this, assuming it is a, a, a since, since it's the, that the enemy list that the received the bombs was inspired by somebody who was inspired by Donald Trump to go ahead and take Donald Trump's list of enemies and send them bombs, assuming that is even true. And the reason I keep making all these qualifications, because this is how we get to me, to the higher angels of it. All right. What can we say out loud which will bring down the temperature and say something that we can all agree with? And to me, that is, look, when something like this occurs, we can assume it is a lone troublemaker. Use your terms. Obviously, some people call it terrorists. Some people call you know, use your terms. That's fine. But a lone troublemaker who is not representative of the vast majority of folks from either political party. You may say he's similar to Donald Trump's rhetoric. Fine. You may say he's similar to the Clintons and all their dastardly deeds. Whatever. But we can agree that a lone troublemaker is not us. Most of us are just trying to go out and vote, (laughs) apparently in numbers that have never been seen in the history of ever. Uh, These turnout numbers, these early voting numbers are wild and huge. And it's both bases coming out. Uh, now the numbers are getting into a place where it's going way beyond base numbers. The, you can't get to these numbers with just the base. So that means there's a whole lot of additional participation. And all these numbers that I've been talking about on previous shows of increased voter rest- registration uh, records, uh, that seems to be playing out. All these newly registered people are voting. And if you and, and the pollsters are the first ones to say that we don't know uh, exactly what they're going to vote or how they're going to vote. But every indicator is they're voting for change, which means blue wave. Right. It doesn't just mean blue because they support blue. Maybe they just don't. Maybe they don't like either. But they've decided that the red direction that Republicans have been in control for two years and they're not happy with what's going on. Um, so we don't know that that for sure. But the point is, 
Most of us are just that. Most of us are now just participating in the process, and now we've got this one lone troublemaker. And in the same way that we have shifted, uh, you know, glorifying shooters and gunmen or gun women, mostly men, uh, and said, you know, we refer to him now in the media as, as just the shooter or the assailant and take away their name so they don't get famous. I think we apply the same uh, uh, thing here and keep reminding us, yeah, uh, lone troublemaker, let's not make, so the point is, let's not waste a lot of time trying to figure out what this person's motive is. He or she, or if there are multiple people, are not representative of us. Okay, and so on the left, I say to you, try not to spend too much of your energy saying, look, Donald Trump did this. Donald Trump did this because you're just going to jump into the mud and create an argument about motive on somebody who's crazy. You're trying to attribute a crazy person and you you say, well, Jeff, how do you know they're crazy? Would you send bombs? Would a sane person send bombs to either to as false flags or because they genuinely hate these uh, enemies of Trump? Either way, this is not us. So let's go right to the back. So when it comes up, if somebody comes up, ah, the bombing, say, you know what? This is a lone troublemaker, and it's not representative of who we are. I'm going to focus on what I want, which, by the way, according to polls, is health care. If you all are obsessed uh, democracy geeks like me, then you know that, wow, have we shifted. We went from a place where Obamacare was this terrible thing that was going to ruin the world to everybody saying, hey, no, uh, healthcare is my number one concern. Number two is wages and jobs that I can live with, a living wage and jobs, right? Economy is almost always number one, and which means, of course, income equity and, and making a tax policy that matches, which is why the Republicans aren't selling the tax cuts, right? Because they don't, because the vast majority of people, again, polls showing, they think it had benefited the rich, right? And that's another reason why this wave is so clearly a wave for change, because even though Republicans now are obsessively trying to say almost to a T, almost to a man and woman, that they are for uh, protecting your health care, it is not lost on even the passively political that Republicans have been trying to end Obamacare and end these protections, 70 plus votes in the House and usually the average, you know, people who show up in the last two weeks before an election wouldn't be aware of these things. But because the Republican Party has been screaming that one song and playing that one tune since 2000 and since March 23rd of 2010, when Obamacare was passed, uh, they're having a hard time running away from that record and suddenly becoming the protectors of health care. Only the base is buying it. Uh, the independents are saying, yeah, we're calling BS on that one. And that is where it is going very strongly. So when we come back, we're going to discuss this revolutionary radical idea about abortion that just changes the paradigm, as well as getting to the concept of common promise and that 1980s Matthew Broderick movie that predicted this current political lesson. This is the place where we try to provide a more satisfying perspective on life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. This is Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein. Welcome back to Possibility Politics, the place where we feelize our way to a saner future. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you so much for listening. I hope uh, you find this soothing because I just love what is going on right now. Because again, in high contrast is high growth. 
We have manifested this because we wanted to resolve these issues. Tribalism kept getting worse. Our uh, discussion on how our genders relate was getting unresolved. And our race relations weren't quite resolved. Uh, economic justice, all of these things. This is 1968 all over again, except in the information age. So it's going 10 times faster. And like a multitasker of modern times, we're able to handle multiple major social, political, economic, spiritual pendulums all at the same time. And I think we're doing a fantastic job. The pivot among voters in a combination of extreme anger and frustration and fear, (laughs) but also this movement towards uh, what you were for instead of what you were against. And that is what we were seeing so prevalently. A great example is Beto O'Rourke in Texas, where Uh, The early voting, by the way, day whatever we're on now, and every single day it's broken records of early voting. And you see these visuals. It's amazing of tents camped out at voting polling places before it opens so people can get ahead in line like with some sort of concert ticket right back in the 80s or 90s. And, you know, with the tents and the the people putting their logo on it and Beto. And and then Beto O'Rourke went around, uh, spent like nine hours, I think, the other day and went to polling places all over the state of Texas and just met people and said, Thank you. Thank you for believing in, you know, Texas and Texas, what, you know, advancing things that will make people's lives better, like expanding Medicaid and Medic and, and, the, and the Obamacare Act, which has been fought by the Republicans there. Texas is going to be fun to watch. There could be some not only Beto could win this thing, but the upset possibility is huge. Uh, I wouldn't even be surprised. Here's one of my long shots that uh, Lupe Valdez, who's the uh, governor, the Democratic governor, Democratic governor candidate running against Greg Abbott. Now, she's been behind, you know, double digits or large single digits. And they're like, oh, I shouldn't have a chance. Of course, it's red Texas. And Greg Abbott is really, a pre, you know, uh, well liked amongst it, although his approval ratings are pretty bad. Uh, but if the 40 percent of Texas that is Latino comes out in numbers that might it appears like there's a lot of activity in the vote to get out the vote campaigns have been extremely effective if they come out. And I'm not saying they would always just automatically vote one way or another. Uh, but if they come out, they're voting for change. And if they're voting for change, they're going to look at that and say, oh, Lupe Valdez, I'll vote for her. And so she might get within two or three points of Greg. Abbott. They might get the crap scared out of him in Texas that Greg Abbott, Abbott squeaks out a victory instead of that moment moment, you know, in his last cycle where he beat Wendy Davis, remember the uh, the Democrat who stood up and filibustered the abortion reforms, they, you know, defeated her by 18 points or what it was. Uh, she may he may only defeat this candidate by two or three and, and scare the heck out of him. That's what's one of my long shot uh, uh, things to watch, which leads us to this topic. This uh, that Wendy Davis brought up, this revolutionary radical idea about abortion. Well, she didn't bring it up, but she was uh, arguing in favor of uh, abortion rights and things. It's like, wait a minute. Is that the right argument? Is that the where we should be putting our pressure? And I ask you for this simple analogy. If you were trying to stop lightning, would you spend all your effort reacting to thunder? And saying, well, we've got to get rid of thunder. We've got to make thunder illegal. We've got to find a machine that stops thunder, that suppresses the noise of thunder. It's like, well, wait a minute. Don't you want to stop the lightning? And you're like, Jeff, what are you talking about? How does that relate to abortion? Well, there's a uh, a Mormon blogger lady, a mother of six, who wrote a little uh, tweet storm that has gone very viral. And she flipped that discussion on abortion and said, wait a minute. What really causes 
unwanted pregnancy. In the same way, what causes lightning versus what causes thunder? Thunder is the sound that occurs from lightning cracking. But what causes lightning, of course, is static electricity in the atmosphere generating electrical charge and going crack, right, and releasing the charge. Well, what causes unwanted pregnancies? And her article is about how men are 100% responsible for unwanted pregnancies. What? And I can hear some of my very patriarchal macho men saying, wait a minute, that's not that way. Hold on. Wait a minute. Well, think about it. Right. And she makes this amazing argument. She says, well, women can only get pregnant about two days each month. And that's for a limited number of years. That makes 24 days a year where a woman might get pregnant. But men can cause pregnancy 365 days a year, all the way well into their older years of life. Right. And uh, she talks about birth control and one of the greatest controversies around birth control. And they call it the greatest invention. But it leaves women battling all these brutal side effects. It puts all the pressure on women. Again, stopping the the thunder instead of the lightning. We've got to make sure it's women's responsibility to prevent herself from getting pregnant. And it's like, wait a minute, she points out. What about condoms? And what about the actual process that causes pregnancy, which is ejaculation? Thank you very much. Right? It's and, and who controls that? You know, you don't men don't just fall into a woman's vagina and suddenly uncontrollably drop their sperm in there. No. There's a multiple part process, which usually involves pressure from men to women to get that to happen. And also pressure from men to women to say, look, hey, I don't like condoms because they're uncomfortable and this and that. And she makes just great points about how, okay, so you're um, fretting about a few minutes of, of, of sexual stimulation reduction because, oh, the terrible condom. And then creating a whole paradox of circumstances where the unwanted pregnancy circumstance now exists when you could have prevented that all along by either controlling your ejaculation by saying, I'm just not going to be involved. I'm not going to ejaculate in a woman, (laughs) right? I'm just not going to let that happen because I'm the one controlling it. Wow. Who's really responsible? And it just blew my mind because I thought now I look back at uh, certainly in my lifetime of decades, but also centuries, if you will, of of controlling women and pressuring women to you better not let yourself get pregnant. What? Again, we better stop that thunder. What about the lightning? (laughs) What about the lightning? So men soak that one up. Women soak that up. And and also really celebrate that, you know, whether you believe it or not and whether you want to talk about the nuances involved because it's a joint operation. And, oh, they both decided to have sex without a condom. And so they're both responsible for the the whether a pregnancy occurs. Yeah, 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 yeah. OK, debate all those particulars, but take a minute to just flip the paradigm and to recognize that we are now in a in a in a circumstance in society where we actually can talk about it. That's we've moved far enough that that the shift of responsibility is in a, in a position where the majority of, of, of ears are able to go, wow, that's kind of true. To go back to the 20s, 30s, 40s, that they would have just like, uh, what's his name? Todd uh, uh, ran against Claire McCaskill would have said, we just shut that whole thing down, right? Men would have just shut that discussion about down of like, wait a minute, no, 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 no. We need to stop the abortion. And I was talking to one of my really, uh, you know, pretty uh, uh, devout Christian friends and she was saying about how, wow, I, you know, I have spent all this effort to fight abortion. 
But when you put it that way, now I want to do an educational campaign to say, men, this is your responsibility first and foremost. Yes, you make agreements with women, but this is your responsibility first and foremost. You're the one cracking the lightning. <laughs> anyway, I just love, I'm giggling because I'm giddy because I love where we are in this Me Too reckoning and our ability to consider new ways to look at old topics that we've just been entrenched and locked into the male patriarchal expression of. And now we're saying, oh, it's a gender team. We're in this together and we have to be cognizant of our roles in it. Duh, right? It seems like a duh now, but it's uh, quite a revelation. I love when a revelation becomes a duh. (laughs) There, that sums it up. All right, coming up. Uh, the 1980s movie that predicted this, as well as the common promise and what that all means. You are breathing the rarefied air of possibility politics. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for checking out Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein. I really appreciate uh, your ears. I hope you find, you know, uh, some enjoyment in this election cycle and this chaos. Hope that I can provide a little perspective too, because I'm enjoying it. I'm freaking loving this. I'm loving. Oh, it's awful. It's terrible. There's bomb threats. There's, you know, uh, it's, we're we're supporting China and Russia, and, and Donald Trump is on his cell phone and has been told by his handlers that his cell phone is being bugged by the Chinese and the Russians, and he continues to make calls on it. You see that one that just came out in the news? He is so obstinate that he refuses to put down his phone to make private calls, and the Chinese and the Russians are like, "Cool, we got it inside." bead on everything this guy is thinking because he goes and shares it with his friends like Roger Stone and company or Steve Bannon these guys he's calling I don't know who he's calling nowadays but those are the folks he used to like to call and and, and remind himself how right he is right (laughs) don't we love being in a bubble where everybody tells us how right we are so anyway so I've noticed a new trait that is being espoused by almost all of the newest political candidates uh, both national and local, especially among Democrats, but I've seen a few Republicans trying to uh, to do this too. And it started with a dirty word, which I'll get to at the punchline here, which is getting a new thing, but it's kind of on this concept of what I call common promise. What is a common promise? Because in this circumstance, especially of a tribalist uh, situation where we've fo- spent so much focus on our differences instead of our, you know, what, what we unifies us, there is one thing we can do that a lot of politicians are, are they're not saying the word common promise. They're saying a different word, but they where you can come in and say, OK, uh, I see that you hate this and I find this unacceptable. I can't live with this. But here's this thing that we can do that we both agree on. So why don't we just do this part and then we'll we'll worry about the other discussions and the anger and the vitriol and the other stuff. And the way we can do that is by entering into a common promise, meaning that you promise to move this idea forward. I promise to move this idea forward, and we will both agree and have that common promise. Even if we disagree on another thing, we don't have to promise anything else. And a great example would be, oddly enough, pre-existing conditions. Uh, Inadvertently, both sides have agreed 
to a, I say inadvertently, because again, there's a record on the Republican side of doing everything they can and even active lawsuits by, say, Josh Hawley, who's running to unseat Claire McCaskill for Senate in Missouri. He has been running ads, you've probably seen this, saying, I am all for pre-existing conditions. I got a family member. I'm all about it. And then at the simultaneously, he, as an attorney general, has joined other attorneys general uh, throughout another uh, red states to try to eliminate the protections for pre-existing condition. But that is a common promise. That's something that all candidates go, we agree on this, right? Yeah, but I want to get rid of Obamacare. And I want to add Medicare for all and have universal health care. And we totally disagree and we'll never agree on that. Well, we've got this one common promise. Do we both promise to protect pre-existing conditions? Yes, we do. We have just made a common promise. And here comes the punchline. You're going to love it. Remember that little dirty word in politics that has been made dirty by eh, left and right, but mostly right, because the, the folks that really value strength of conviction over curiosity of knowing, right? I've talked about this a lot on the show. Curiosity of knowing over strength of conviction. Curiosity always beats conviction in terms of if you want to evolve and create a better self and, a, and, and subscribe to your better angels, right? The dirty word was compromise, right? Because it was, we, were, we were just told that that means that what you have given up is so horrible that there is no benefit that ever allows you to accept that as being a net sum gain, right? Well, what if we took apart the word compromise and turned it into its root meaning of common promise, right? Right? <laughs> and so that is what candidates are doing. Case in point, again, Beto O'Rourke. But I have been seeing this so commonly, even them saying out loud, hey, the word compromise is a dirty word, but what if we agree on things? Can't we just move them forward? And they've been very vocal about this. And I haven't heard anyone use the, the term common promise yet. I hope, it, I hope it picks up and gets some viralness. But if we can turn compromise into its root of a common promise, we just agree to that. We're, this is our one promise that's in common. Yes, we have diverging things that we think are, are, may or may not suffer as a result of this common promise, but we are willing to make a common promise because we both see that at least this one point is good for all involved and we love it and there's mutual benefit and it's worthwhile. Instead of just seeing it as I lost more than you lost or you lost more than I lost, haha, you know, a, a balance of either victory or schadenfreude. Instead, it's ah, we have come to a common promise and we have proceeded forward. This is the renaissance, people. This is how it works. And the vast majority of new candidates coming up are laser focused on healthcare, on jobs, and on doing what is necessary and making common promises. And even as like Beto says, again, he's always saying this is not about Republicans, not about Democrats. I don't want to do this for anybody. I want to do this because we agree on these things. Let's just stay focused on that and stop focusing on who it came from and whether it's good for one tribe or the other. We're doing it, people. This is really good. This is a dangerous, scary, you know, chaotic time. But so many heroes are emerging. And as Mr. Rogers' mom says, in times of tragedy, look for the helpers. They're everywhere. And that is why I do this show, too, uh, because I want to accentuate that. And so when we come back for the final, I want to talk about this 1980s movie, Matthew Broderick, that kind of has uh, uh, reminded me of why 
we are have gotten to the, the the sort of the end of some of these things, the end of tribalism, the high water mark of these disgusting things. When we return to the place where news and life meets optimism and patriotism, this is Possibility Politics. Welcome back to the mind-expanding experience known as Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you so much for listening. And there's this uh, 1980s movie, may, some of you may remember, called War Games. Remember they with Matthew Broderick? Uh, the story where they had a nuclear holocaust scare because the computer named the Whopper, right, designed to just do war games all day. The computer was to determine the perfect strategies for a full nuclear war with Russia. And so you remember this, so that it would uh, try to plot out and, and, and anticipate every choice so that it could assist the United States. Well, uh, it's one of these moments where the computer goes rogue, right? And uh, because Matthew Broderick hacks into it accidentally and starts it on a, a geothermonuclear war sequence, right? And you remember this moment where they think that they're under actual attack because the computer is telling them under actual attack and they have to decide whether or not to fire the missiles. How far is it gone? The president's about ready to order a counter-strike. That's what we're recommending you do. It's a bluff, John. Call it off. No, it's not a bluff. It's real. Hello, General Barringer. Stephen Falcon. Mr. Falcon, you picked a hell of a day for a visit. Uh, uh, General, what you see on these screens up here is a fantasy, a computer-enhanced hallucination. Those blips are not real missiles. They're phantoms. Jack, there's nothing to indicate a simulation at all. Everything's working perfectly. But does it make any sense? Does what make any sense? That. Look, I don't have time for a conversation right now. General, are you prepared to destroy the enemy? You betcha. Do you think they know that? I believe we've made that clear enough. Then don't. Tell the president to write out the attack. Sir, they need a decision. General. Do you really believe that the enemy would attack without provocation, using so many missiles, bombers, and subs, so that we would have no choice but to totally annihilate them? One minute and 30 seconds to impact. General, you are listening to a machine. Do the world a favor and don't act like one. Don't. Just don't. <laughs> right? And that's a huge lesson. When you're in mad, mutually assured destruction, that is where saner heads have to prevail. And that is our opportunity in this era. And of course, we know how it went. The computer goes completely nuts and starts doing the attack simulation, and here's where it goes, right? What's it doing? It's learning. And now it's going through all the simulations and trying to figure out how to win, how to win, how to win. It's got to be a way to keep going through every simulation. Then finally... Greetings, Professor Falcon. Hello, Joshua. Strange game. The only winning mood is not to play. And there's the lesson that was predicted that is universal, but it was predicted in the 1980s by this movie, which is the only way to win is not to play, right? And that is what I want everyone, I want you all to see this as we go in these last few days and the rhetoric gets high and the crazy gets crazy before the election, because even after the election, it's not going to be over. Mueller's going to start dropping charges. The losers, whoever they may be, 
are going to lose their minds as well as potentially electoral circumstances. And there's going to be, there will be blood potentially. I hate to say that. I hate to be a predictor of that, but I actually kind of predicted what's going on right now. Not to toot my horn, uh, but those who know and listen to the show know I've been talking about that as this ramped up and the, uh, you know, especially in the Trump White House, when they're recognizing that the House is going to be taken over, at least potentially the Senate by Democrats, which means accountability and investigations and the emoluments clause and that. So as we go into this, please remember the best way to win is to not play that game. Stay on the common promises. Stay on your belief. Don't focus so much on voter suppression and focus more on how the turnout is so overwhelming that even if they try to you know, knock a bunch of poor or black or Democratic folks off the rolls, the swamping will be so extreme. And it's sure everything appears to be that way. And even if there's some areas where people are disenfranchised, it will only draw more attention and more light on those who were cynical enough to try to win through cheating. So the point is, is that just don't engage in the mud in the same way with the bombing. Don't focus on the motives on the bomber. Just say, yep, violence is wrong. We're going to vote and look at all the voting and look at all the very, very peaceful activity that is going on. They're lining up enthusiastically to vote both the bases, the left and the right and the middle. Everybody has a big stake in this outcome, and that's good. And let's just stay with that. Don't get baited into it. And to round it all up, I want to talk about the consciousness of it, right? Because we have to manifest the aggregate of our thoughts and feelings, both as individuals. You create your own experience, as you know, what you think and what you feel creates uh, what you manifest, right? But also on a societal level. And so to me, going into this election, there's kind of three options. Because everybody is going to get what they focus upon the most, including their fears, So you've got the right who is pretty caught up in the fears if you're on the Trump bandwagon right now because it's about MSA 13. It's about more immigrants. It's about our, you know, the white race being saturated by brown people. Sorry, but that's what the subtext is, what's going on. There's the sense that women are going to accuse all men of sexual assault and take them down like they did Brett Kavanaugh. Oh, wait, he didn't get taken down. Huh, interesting. And so there's that fear. There's a fear that, you know, the the socialism and all this other thing is going to take over if the left takes over. And most of that, if you look at the aggregate of that consciousness on the right wing base, with all due respect, there's not as much energy that is for something because their desire, even if you ask me, well, what do you want? Well, I want fair things and good government and I want small government. And all. OK, OK. You know, what else do you want? Well, I want these other people to stop. I want those liberals to mobs to go away. And I want them to. OK, so clearly your most emphatic, most energetic focus is on what you don't want. So that's going to go into the social manifestation soup. You've just sprayed that into the into the broth. And so there's going to be a strong flavor of I want my fears to be realized. Do you see that? Because that's what you're asking for. When you focus on how much your enemies are screwing you, you will increase the chances that your enemy will screw you. So that's uh, option, uh, you know, one option is that they create 
a circumstance that riles up their enemies and inflates their enemies. Same thing on the left. There's that option where the left is so it could be so focused on their fear that in their opinion, that Donald Trump and the Republicans will continue to destroy the democracy. They'll continue to support Putin and, and Kim Jong-un, and they'll continue to do tariffs that destroy our jobs and circumstances. They'll continue to give tax cuts to their rich friends. If you're focusing on all those things and your terror that that's going to happen, you're going to add energy to that. All right. Now, on the left, there is a lot of that. There is a lot of motivation to go to the polls to stop what is going on, which, okay, again, you're focusing on what you don't want. So you might increase the chances that that will occur. So you got to get back to your belief. That third option, which is, which is available to either side, which is, you know what? I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to let the karma hit the people who I am, am against, whether it's, you know, liberals and mobs or Trump and this uh, lying and democracy uh, destruction. I'm going to let them have their karma. I'm going to vote for people who will, will get this healthcare situation under control, whatever your version of that is. Maybe you want a privatized system. You just want to expand on that. Great. Before that, if you want universal health care, Medicare for all, which, by the way, if you've probably seen is polling and more enthusiastically supported like it has never been ever, ever, ever. That is very popular. A some sort of universal health care. So before that, before an increase in wages and, and, and jobs that, you know, coming home or what have you, which can be, again, left or right can agree with that. Right. And so if you're for those things, then you will receive those things. So please, as you get closer, mind your house, recognize how much you are in fear. If you're scaring the crap out of yourself, put your finger, la, 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 you know, put your fingers in your ears and just say, I'm not going to go to that thought. You know, I'm going to, I always like to say, make peace, make an effort or take a nap, which means either make peace with that thought and say, wow, I am scared. Okay. Uh, all right, I forgive myself for being scared. These are scary times. Um, make effort means I am going to deliberately take this thought of terror and now spend the next few minutes focusing on what it would be like to have Medicare for all, for instance, or some sort of health care for all, a universal plan. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine being in a place where you just get to go to the doctor and there's like Canada, no deductible, no copay, and everybody pays out of their you know, paycheck in an, in an indistinguishable way because we not only draw it from average workers, we actually create a tax code where folks who have billions of leftover extra dollars and corporations who have billions of leftover extra dollars, they put in a share so that you just walk into the doctor and you get your care and your doctor and your nurses are happy too because their living wages are also part of the equation and guaranteed just like in England just like in Canada that they are there are just as much of noble pursuits there and just as much of lucrative pursuits there and so you walk in and everybody is for the first time in American history focused almost entirely on being healthy Instead of how much could it cost? Who should get it? Why shouldn't you get it? Why should I get it when you're not getting it? Why should Congress get a perfect plan when none of us are when of us are paying thousands every month, or at least I'm paying, geez, a couple, three, three thousand a month in order to have health care for my family? Just focus on that imagination of, oh my gosh, I could walk into a doctor, just make an appointment, 
and they say, yeah, come on in, come on on Tuesday, and, and, and you see them, and you leave, and, 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 and they put in your, your social security number, and the accounting is done, and it's you're, get right back to what you should be doing, which is focusing on your healing, focusing on your health, focusing on uh, planning and preventative medicine, and not having pharmaceuticals shoved down your throat because that's one of the greatest sources of profit. Instead, having the ads be irrelevant that for some, you know, pharmaceutical or another, because, you know, you're just going to go in the doctor and the doctor who's going to be who's not going to be incentivized is just going to say, well, here's the best medication for you, in my opinion. And you'll go, well, that sounds good. Let's do that instead of ka-ching, 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 right? This is where we're going. It is going to happen. And I know that because the vast majority of people want it. The only question is, is how fast do we get it? And the speed at which we get it is based on how quickly we shift to belief. And we go to the common promise. And we focus on the lightning instead of the thunder. And we focus on the fact that we never win when we're entirely preoccupied with how much we disagree. That is how it will all change. And it is coming and there will be a big transition as a result of November, but it will only be another beginning. Life is the eternal beginningness of beingness. It never stops. And it's always for you to wake up and either embrace your higher angels, who you want to be, see the world in the way you want to be, be the change you wish to see, or you focus on your differences and your tribalism and your problems. And this is the most sharpest time. It has what I like to call when I deal with my clients, it becomes to the moment where it is painfully obvious. And when something is painfully obvious, it is the ultimate gift because it means A, you've had enough pain and B, obvious, you know what to do. You know what to support. You know what you want if you will allow that to dominate your heart instead of the fight dominating your brain. Because democracy is a participation sport, and I thank you for your participation. This has been Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The social, political, pop-cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose-colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein. 